April 3rd, 2022. We're continuing in Nefesh HaChayim and Sha'ar Dalid. We're in the middle of Perek Lamed, so you'll find it on page 781 in this blue book. Um, it's the second, looks like the second bold uh, bullet point, uh, where it starts, Velo'od. If you recall, just very briefly, what Nefesh HaChayim had discussed uh, until here in this Perek, is he continued what he had been discussing in Perikavtet, and that is he described the difference, the contrast between the uh, called essence of Torah and essence of mitzvot. He described as a result the uh, the halachic formulation of Tashmishe Mitzvah, Tashmishe Kedusha, one being that which has almost an eternal sanctity and essence connected to it, whereas the other one is temporal. It's lefisha ato. It's when you perform the mitzvah. So that's when the kedusha is, so to speak, manifested. Um, when the mitzvah is finished, when the tashmish of the mitzvah is finished, uh, its utility. So as a result, the mitzvah is done, and the tashmish, the the lulav, the uh, etrog, can then be discarded. Tashmish kedusha, in contrast, Torah, which is essence, which is kedusha itself. Well, that's uh, something which is eternal and in turn needs to be buried, needs geniza because its essence is never evaporated, never disappears. He continues here and he talks about, well, pause for a second and think, if the general description is one in which Kiddushah at its core, its essence emanates from Torah, so how's there ever, quote unquote, Kiddushah in the context of mitzvot? Um, after all, if I'm to describe Torah as the light of the sun, and mitzvot as, so to speak, the uh, candle as he has from the Pasuk in Mishle. How do we specifically articulate that light of the candle? So he goes a step almost dramatically and uh, radically further. He says, Velo'od, ela shigam otaha kedusha vechiyutan veoran shel mitzvot He said, you should know that kedusha, that sanctity inherent to mitzvot, and the life and light of mitzvot, that, so to speak, bring forth that light, that life, that spiritual life, that ability to be uh, connected to the makor through performance, it's nilkach, it's taken, it's emanated from the kedushan ora, the sanctity and light of the Torah itself. Do you understand what he's suggesting? He's setting forth for us a direction in which we're to understand that misvot at their core are only significant, quote unquote, wrong word, are only sanctified as a result of emanating from Torah. Ki ha-mitzvot let, mitzvah let le, or let la migarma shum chiyut uktusha ve'or kelal. On its own, at its core, its essence, is not kedusha, has no or. He's referring to mitzvot. Rak mitzad kedushat otiyot haTorah kedubot beinyan otah mitzvah. Of course, if we were to put this physically, but you need to understand it a bit more theoretically. But physically speaking, it's because of the letters transcribed in Torah and handed down in Torah that describe those mitzvot. Now, over the course of the next half an hour, I'd like to discuss what this means. We need a little bit more. In his words, from Divrei HaChamim, in which he realizes paradoxically that Torah needs mitzvot. In other words, the way he's described it until now in this paragraph is that mitzvot are only essential or only have that life as a result of Torah. It'll be a bit paradoxical taking us in the other direction. Yes? Is he very Kabbalistic, but we always hear it. Or is it just saying, because God gave it to us, 
and okay, we need to do it the Shem Shemayim, not because we, we know it's not good to kill. It seems there's some other, I would say, side. Yes, he's dressing it up and, and, and leaving a bit more to be developed. But fundamentally, that's the statement. Yeah, he gave you the vision of it. He put it in the terminology, which makes it a little bit more palpable for a Kabbalist. Ultimately speaking, in my mind, it amounts to the same thing. Again, the mitzvot's inherent, I guess even value, if you want to use that word, is only as a result of their part in something called Torah. That's that's fundamentally what he said. Or he brings us back to that pasuk which he's mentioned several times in the last perek and a half, and this pasuk in Mishle where the Torah is likened to Or, call it the sun, the eternal light, and mitzvot to Ner, Kenyan Haner She'enla Be'atzma Shum Or Kelal, Rak Mehaor Hameirba. So he says, well, think about it in the following fashion. Pay attention to the mitzvah being a Ner. The light, the fire, is only kindled and sustained by means of the candle, which means in and of itself, the light, the burning fire of that candle has nothing uh, in its own essence other than being dependent upon another. Of course, it's not dependent upon the sun per se, but the vision is one in which mitzvot have this dependency. Mitzvot don't have an... uh, uh, independent essence. Vadai, he continues, and here's the paradoxical end, which we'll hopefully discuss. Certainly, if you just study Torah without performance of Mitzvot, you know, you haven't done anything. Well, one second, you're confusing me. If Mitzvot are only essential because of Torah, then why is Torah dependent upon those? Which means it was almost something which was a recurring refrain in the words of Rava. So to speak, the purpose of Chokmah, call it Torah, is Teshubah, repentance, Ma'asim Tobim, of course, Mitzvot Shalom, and, and beyond Mitzvot Shalom, Yehe Adam Korev Shone, Bo'et Ba'aviv Brabo Vechule, Lelomdehem Lo Ne'emar, Ela Le'osehem, says the Gemara, if Torah is performed or is studied without a performance in the real world, uh, so then you've missed the Tachlit of Torah. Pasuk says, Reshit Chokmah Yerad, and I say, Chetov Lechol, Osehem, Pasuk says, Lechol Osehem, not Lelomdehem. It's a Sechel Tov, it gives a certain understanding for those who perform it, as opposed to those who just study it. The Gemara and Berachot. Ubishmot Rabbah, Kol Mishuhu Yodea Torah Veno Oseh, a person who has studied, who has knowledge of Torah, but doesn't perform. Mutav lo Sheloya Salah it would be better for that person, so to speak, that they never came out into this world. It rather would have been better for them to have the placenta turned upon them, I think is the way to uh, uh, translate. Uh, the statement here in Zohar is a person who studies 
who's involved in Torah and also performs, has a full ulam, <coughs> which they've inherited. If the person just studied without performing mitzvot, so they don't have anything. What do you mean they don't have anything? They should have at least Torah, divorce from mitzvot. It's the same statement of that Gemara in Yevamot, in lo kilum. Ad shamru b'perek hamad avodah zara, the Gemara in avodah zara, and avyotzayin mutbet, kol ha'osek b'torah levad, a person who just immerses him or herself in Torah without performance of mitzvot, domel kemishe en lo eloa. It's as if they don't have a God. Ki bilti ki yuma mitzvot chas v'shalom. En davar bemal lehit achez ulehit kasher bo or ha-Torah lishrot alav ulehit kayem bo kedimyon ha-or belo petila. Without performance of mitzvot, there's nothing for it to catch on to. There's no way to have it be magshim itself, to materialize, to find its place in a world of physicality. Of course, mitzvot are the physical performance of something which resides above in a theoretical realm, in a domain beyond something that we can touch, feel, and appreciate as human beings in the most coarse sense. Omnam, so again, so, so what he set forth for us is in the initial paragraph that we read today, so it's, you know, mitzvot, so to speak, are nothing without Torah. But then he continues and he says, but there's somewhat of a symbiosis over here there's some sort of reciprocity. Torah needs mitzvot as well. Not a full understanding of this. Well, if Torah is, so to speak, the, the birthing factor of the mitzvot, so you're really going to tell me it can't be divorced in any way? It might be insufficient, but the statement is it's nothing. Omnam, atzmuta or mitzvah. He returns to what he said in the earlier paragraph, just two ago, and says again that Torah, that or which Torah has as ner, is only derived from Torah. That's the Mishnah at the end of Avot. Torah gives that life le'oseha. Again, reading it through a Kabbalistic theoretical lenses, it means it gives the life to the performance of the mitzvot. The life is not given to the person who just studies it. Of course, if we envision Torah as being etzahayim, well, then why isn't there life, quote unquote, to the person who just studies it? The statement again is le'oseha to those who perform it, it expands an understanding of what Torah means, of what Torah is. Torah is not just an intellectual or even emotional uh, endeavor and experience. It's one which is all-encompassing. If it's missing any of those dimensions, well, then it's absolutely deficient. Ad uktusha Torah gives that eternal life. Gamle osea mitzvot ketubot betocha. Ve'lachen amru betanhumah bechukotai she'afim hu sadik ve'ena osek pat Torah. Okay, hard to define what it means sadik if they're not involved in en beyado kelum has v'shalom. So a person is righteous in some way or fashion, but has no involvement in Torah. So en beyado kelum has v'shalom. So this touches, and and that's what I'd like to talk about a little bit, not fully in in over the course of the rest of the class. This touches on. So to speak, a person who taps into, uh, call it emet of mitzvot, and even performs mitzvot, but does it outside of a structure of Torah, call it a sheva mitzvot benenoah type of vision and experience. And so there's there's harsh words being being offered over here. Enbiya do kelum. Lashon has fully and completely what that means, and I'd like to just take a few steps backwards to develop, at least in my mind, the direction over here in Nefesh Hayim. The direction, generally speaking, in the eyes of the Hachamim with regards to this Talmud and. Ma- 
ma'ase, call it dichotomy or call it synthesis. Uh, first and foremost, there was a there was a, a, a landmark statement he had earlier. He quoted it from uh, Shemot Rabbah. He quoted it again afterwards. It says it's it's stated elsewhere. And the statement was again, kol mishu hu yodea Torah ve'eno ose, a person who knows Torah but doesn't perform mutavlo shelo yasa la'olam. It would have been better had they not been born. Ela rather nehepcha hashilia al panav the placenta had been turned on its face. That's an interesting description, I guess, you know, it's a midrashic statement, and the hachamim may have just heke been dramatic, or perhaps there's a certain depth to that particular description. The description of it would have been better had they not been birthed. It's, it's, it's stated and quoted in the name of Gaon Mivilna, if I'm not mistaken, by his brother and others, the following interpretation to that passage in midrash, and in turn, I think it'll give us, not that it's necessary per se for the, for the ensuing uh, conversation over here, but it's certainly gives a certain framework for it. He based it, Gaon Mivilna, on, uh, he, he drew a link between that Midrash and the Midrash in Masech and Nidan Daflamit. The Midrash in Masech and Nidan Daflamit, of course, is the well-known one, and that is that the baby in the womb of his or her mother are taught the entirety of the Torah. Upon exit from the womb of the mother, upon entrance into this world, the angel, Sotera, uh, the, the angel gives a, some sort of slap, some sort of touch, on top of the mouth of the baby, which needs a certain interpretation interpretation as to why, a slap, and so on and so forth, but, and then the Torah is lost and forgotten. Gaon Mivilna suggested that linking these two midrashim one to the other, if you envision, if you put yourself in the world of the hachamim, it means when we talk about prior to birth, we describe an experience in which there's an immersive, immersive uh, uh, dialogue of Torah, but there's no performance of mitzvot, which means to say, interestingly, that the statement over here in the Midrash is, well, if you're living in this world without performing mitzvot, without giving a material side, without being magshim, without giving that uh, articulation to mitzvot in a real-world fashion, well, I'm not saying you're nothing. I'm just saying your purpose in this world is is futile. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. So we're not focusing on the second part, the forgetfulness. We're focusing on the study in the womb, right? So in other words, if the study in the womb was one in which, not to be taken literally, but to be taken in theory, the understanding of a detached state of being where you're just studying and you're just intellectually attaching, well, yeah, you're living in this world effectively you're living in the womb. So what are you doing in this world? It's, it's almost a claim, it's, it's a description of, uh, understand your context. What are you doing in this world? Was, that, that's the way you understand this midrash, according to Gaon Mivilna. What are you doing in this world? You would have been better had you not come out. Not that you hadn't been born, uh, but your life in this world is one which is detached from your context, from the world in which you live, which is a physical world. So had this not been the plan, quote unquote, for use to in some way actualize Torah in this world, well then maybe it shouldn't have come out. Maybe that wouldn't have ever happened. That's the suggestion. If you take it a few steps further, but along that line of thought, Gaon Mivilna elsewhere, also a widely cited statement of his, here in his book, Aderet Eliyahu, or collection in Aderet Eliyahu and Sefer Yeshaya, at the very beginning, Ha'inyan, who he's talking about the... Um, 
He's talking about Talmud with Maaseh. Ki ha'adam nechlat lishtayim. Classically, we envision human beings as being, so to speak, um, we might have a holistic, uh, monistic uh, approach to life, meaning oneness, this ahtut. But ultimately speaking, if we're to break down in the most basic way who we are, we have a physical side and we have a spiritual side. It's the neshama and it's the guf. It's, in his words, ha'guf asher ba'aretz yesodov ha'nefesh asher ba'ar It's an easy way of describing that dichotomy, that dual existence of humanity. On the one hand, we have this we have this neshama, we have this capacity, this tendency to kiddushah, we call that shamayim, we have the ability to be a part of the heavens of above. However, on the other hand, we have our gashmi side, we have our goof, we call that the Torah. he suggests that's the two portions of Torah, which again, the hachamim do separate, they do talk about Torah and ma'am, says is that not our direction is that not our force and mandate in this world to bring forth some sort of uh, synthesis between the two again it's a very he's not doing it in such a fashion but envisioning our direction, it's also a polemic on Christianity to a certain extent. Instead of envisioning a life of celibacy as the ultimate, as the supreme, as the uh, priority, the ideal, uh, we envision one in which we're seeking a synthesis, not a separation, not a, uh, an, uh, a, dis- a destruction of the Gashmi side. So that again, furthers, I think, in my mind, our conversation as to what it means Torah and mitzvot, that the Torah has, so to speak, a deficient existence with human beings if it's not manifested through mitzvot as well. You see, but we ha- what we haven't fully explained, at least in my mind, is, so then what do you need Torah for, quote unquote? In other words, if the idea is, well, I actualize my my connectedness to God, let's call it. I actualize my experience in this world through mitzvot. So then what is Torah? Where does Torah fit into that for that? And I imagine the answer is somewhat straightforward. I'll just take a few minutes to develop it. For that, I'll turn to the Gemara in Masechet Kiddushin and Daf Bet. The Gemara describes how Rabbi Tarfon and the Chachamim were studying, developing halachot, there's other well-known, there's one, to my mind, well-known halacha that was developed in this Aliyat Bet Nitzeh Belod, a specific place in Lod where the rabbis gathered. The following question was posed. Now, it's somewhat theoretical because, well, you'll understand why. Talmud Gadol or Ma'aseh Gadol? What's greater, quote-unquote, hard to define what greater means? How are you scaling this? What do you determine? Does it mean how I prioritize? Not, not fully clear. And tremendous debates, but we'll have to leave that for a moment. Is it greater? Is the Torah greater? Is Ma'aseh greater? And says the Gemara, Na'anar bitarfon ve'amar Ma'aseh gadol. Bitarfon says, Ma'aseh mitzvot wakol. Na'anar bi'akiba ma'amar tamul gadol. Ne'inu kulam ve'amru. Everyone in unison, it sounds like, screamed out, Talmud gadol. They agreed with Rabbi Akiva. Why so? Shah Talmud mevili de ma'aseh. Because Talmud brings to action, to mitzvot which is uh, puzzling and paradoxical to say the least. As the greater one is the Torah because it brings you to mitzvot. Would you not say that mitzvot then are the greater one? In other words, I need my middleman to get to the king. Uh, the only reason I need this middleman is in order to get to the king. Would you say that the middleman is greater than the king? For some reason the Gemara statement is that Talmud mevili de ma'aseh means that it's gadol, which of course might just... You're saying that the, you're Correct. in that the goal is the ma'aseh, as opposed to saying the goal was Torah and ma'aseh. 
Beautiful. Agreed. I'm going to develop that a bit further. I mean, again, there's another way of going in this Gemara. The other way of going in this Gemara is that Gadol doesn't mean in terms of value, although that is generally speaking the way the rabbis speak. It's the way everyone seems to understand this Gemara. But there is another approach to this Gemara, and Gadol just means in terms of priority, right? In terms of process, right? So I have to start. It just means, well, what what should be my focus? I need to start with Talmud in order to get to Ma'aseh. But yes, Danny, you say that, uh, Danny says, well, I need to be with Ma'aseh, and I can only only get to proper ma'aseh through Talmud. Now, what does that mean? You see, here's the question as well, and this is a bit of a jump, but does that mean Talmud in terms of just studying the halakha and in turn knowing what to do and how to do it, or does it mean something greater than that? In other words, when we say Talmud gadol shemevili de ma'aseh, we mean because you're studying or do we mean because you're studying as well do you understand in other words when we talk about Talmud so the suggestion of some and it's, I, I very much subscribe to such an approach suggestion of some I, I gave it to you on, on page in source number 4 and source number 5 of Rav Hutner and his Pachadits Haq and Shavuot of Rav Moshe Shapiro as transcribed in this book, and the Yodgimali Karim, it goes as follows. I'll develop each one of them independently, but effectively they're saying the same thing. Bahadit Hakir, that's Rav Yitzchak Hotner in Ma'amar Yodhait in source number four in Shavuot. He's, he, he has the following. He begins with the question. He says, I don't really understand. How can you, I, I don't have those words on the page, but I'm telling you the context. He says, how is it possible that Talmud is gadol, shemevili de ma'aseh, would appear then that ma'aseh is gadol. So he says, well, I'm just going to empirically, I'm just going to prove this based on facts. He says, the halakha is that if a person is studying Torah and they have a mitzvah she'overet, it's a mitzvah that won't be able to be fulfilled, afterwards you stop the Talmud in order to perform the ma'aseh. That sounds crazy. How are you doing so? Uh, generally speaking, we say, if you're immersed in one mitzvah, you don't stop in order to perform another mitzvah. And whereas when it comes to Talmud Torah, we have an altogether <coughs> different metric system. For some reason, you're stopping. The suggestion in turn goes as follows. It's not that we're being dohe Talmud Torah. It's not that we're pushing aside Talmud Torah in order to fulfill that mitzvah. It's rather that bitula zohi kiyuma. By performing the mitzvah, you are, and he found it in the words of Rashi, and elsewhere, by performing that mitzvah, in that moment, you are effectively performing, quote-unquote, Talmud Torah as well. A hard-to-understand concept. He suggests it's the following. I mean, well, I'm suggesting it's the following. He doesn't fully articulate it, but he says already, well, now I understand the concept. Talmud gadol shemevili de ma'aseh. It means, as I perform that ma'aseh, I am, in the words of Danny a few moments ago, doing Talmud as well. I think you're something along those lines. Which means to say, for what reason? And in what fashion am I performing quote-unquote Torah through that ma'aseh? And I'll use the words of Rabbi Moshe Shapira, and this will really crystallize, hopefully, everything we've develop, been developing until this point. I'm going to use the word framework. I'm going to use the word structure. And that is Rav Moshe Shapiro specifically, and it's a longer conversation than we'll make it out to be, than he even makes it out to be. But he says, a person who performs, let's call it 613 mitzvot, without the framework of Torah, outside of that framework, effectively they've done seven Noahide laws. So yes, they've found truth in them, but they've lost or they never found a structure and a framework of Torah. Which means to say that Torah, yes, is actualized through those mitzvot, but by definition, the mitzvot are absolutely dependent. It brings us back to the words of Nefesh HaHayim on Torah, because without them, so you're not within that God framework. 
you're performing, and maybe you're thinking about God, but you're not in the absolute God framework. You're outside of the framework of Torah, which ironically, or maybe, 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 maybe uh, logically, brings us to the following uh, direction. It means that mitzvot will begin that way, in the words of Nefesh Haim, are absolutely dependent upon Torah. Now, it's not that mitzvot have nothing without Torah. It's not quote unquote, as the rabbis suggest, that Abraham and the Abot were mekayim kol Torah kodem shenitena. It's not that there is no reality of such, it's that you don't have an asher kedishanu v'tzivanu dimension to mitzvot. A, a very important facet and, and dimension of mitzvot is that they're tzivui habore. It's that I'm performing the will and mandate of God. Without Torah, I don't have that. Which means to say that mitzvot, so to speak, as he says, have their life, have their light as a result of Torah, as a result of that asher kedishanu b'mitzvotav. In his words, it's what taps me back into ma'amad har sinai. Mitzvot brings me back to that moment, but only because I had that moment which preceded. Yes, Rabbi. Is there a differentiate between Mahat Sinai and uh, seven Mitzvot Bnei Noah? I was also going back to question, and why do we differentiate if it's still going back to what, uh, you know, ultimately what God wants in the world instead? You're asking after Mahat Sinai, why? We're thinking of seven Bnei Noah. Yes, which even precedes. Correct, but we don't seem to acknowledge that somewhat. That's coming from God. I mean, if we perform those, we are tapping into Torah. And right. I mean, I, again, as I said, the, I'm, and, and important and has been had partially from me. Important conversations, much written and discussed about this. I, I, I'll just start you on it. I talked about this in the Gemara class a few weeks ago. Harambam, for example, in his Perusha Mishnayot and Perikid Danashe, suggests the following, and it, it, it's not going to answer your question. It's just going to further it. He says that all the mitzvot that might come from Sheva Mitzvot, had they not been repeated at Har Sinai, they would not be binding for Bnei Yisrael. Which means to say the reiteration of them from God at Sinai is, so to speak, the establishment of what binds us to them. So again, it's, it's a larger and broader conversation of what Sheva Mitzvot are, yes, Tzedek Mishpat, isn't that what fits into our framework, but alternatively, what Torah brings about, what Ma'amad Har Sinai brings about is an indispensable dimension of Sivui. Which means if I'm not performing this as a mandate of God, so that I'm missing out on the integral and, and, and perhaps most, most integral facet of mitzvot. So you'll, again, you'll, you'll ask them, how come prior to the giving of the Torah, are there sheva mitzvot, but not 613 for Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, call it or something along. That, that's, an important, that, that's an important last step over here. But just in terms of, of, of describing and understanding the vision, that's, that's the vision, I think, over here. Again, how could the audacity to state that you don't have mitzvot without Torah? The answer is you do. You have it as Sheva Mitzvot B'nai Noach. You have 613 Mitzvot B'nai Israel, but you don't have Mitzvot Torah. On the other hand, and that's the continuation of this, on the other hand, you then have, and it's not as paradoxical any longer, you then have a dependency, so to speak, of Torah on, uh, of Mitzvot for Torah. Right? Torah needs Mitzvot because without the Mitzvot, so then yes, there is a dimension which a person is, so to speak, connecting to, but it's not a human dimension. 
And it's, it's bringing you back to the vlad, to the ubar b'me'e'imo. You're bringing yourself out of this world. You're losing that hibur, that connectedness between shamayim and aritz. And just to push that a bit forward, it's a motif of mine, and it's a point that I like to make again and again and again. That, again, bringing it full circle to the way we began the conversation, if a person lives in this world and believes they're living a life of Torah without that engagement in, call it mitzvot, but call it hayalma without being able to find Torah in all, well, then they're really effectively living in the womb of their mother. I mean, that, that is the reality. Just to portray that a bit more, some sources we've discussed in the past, some not, the Gemara Masechet Yoma here at the bottom, source 6, and the Mudbet cites a pasuk from Tehilim. Pasuk is in the context of the man, and it describes the man as lechem abirim the bread of, I guess, bold ones or mighty ones. And the first explanation, that of Rabbi Akiva, is what was the man? It was lechem shemalacheh hasharet ochlinot. Who are the bold and mighty ones? It's the angels. Rabbi Akiva's interpretation. Says the Gemara, Rabbi Ishmael got very angry at him. So what are you talking about? Angels don't eat. Angels don't drink. Of course, he, as a result, suggests that lechem abirim, instead of being that of the angels, is lechem evarim. It, so to speak, got soaked in by our limbs, it had some sort of particular nature, the man, uh, to, to which the Gemara then uh, deals with that as well. How was it, what was it that caused Am Yisrael to excrete in the desert? There's a mitzvah of, have, of covering up a time in which a person relieves themselves. How could they have been excreting if they're eating man, which is lechem shemal acheh hasharet, which is divorced from regular uh, activities? Ma has a full conversation discussion about that. For me, the most significant part in this Gemara is that initial statement of Rabbi Akiva, Lechem Shemalachia Hasharet Ochilin, which means to say, and Rabbi Ishmael taking him very literally, of course, literally within the context of Midrash, but literally he turns to him and he says, what are you talking about? Angels don't eat and drink. What was Rabbi Akiva talking about? He's talking about something objectively outside of a this world nature, and he's describing it as something physical, but again, He's talking about it through the mechanism of human beings, which means to say, so to speak, he's dressing up that neshama. He's finding with you in humanity the capacity to tap into spirituality in the physical. So yes, the response, so to speak, to Rabbi Ishmael would be, no, come on, I'm, yes, describing this as something that the angels imbibed, they digested in their own fashion, and we do it in ours. But that doesn't debase it that didn't turn it into something altogether different, along the same lines, and it's like this ironic Gemara, which I like to call attention to from time to time in Masechet Berachot, right there on Daf Yodzayin, same Gemara of uh, the Margela Befume Derava, Margela Befume Derav, lo ka'olam hazeh ha'olam haba, this world is so different than the world to come, how so? Well, we'll talk about the world to come, ha'olam haba imbo lo achila, velo shetia, velo pirya, velo rivya, velo masa umatan, velo kina, velo sina, velo taharut, the world to come has no physical action attributes or characteristics, most notably for us, there's no eating or drinking. Ela, what will take place? The righteous ones will sit. Sit is in contrast to this world, which is where we're moving, we're developing, and they're wearing their crowns, which has a significance, generally speaking, to chokmah, to understanding, to an intellectual development and connectedness, and they will be nehene, 
they'll derive pleasure from Ziv HaShechina, from the radiance of the indwelling from God. Shene'emar, here's the part I want to focus on. Vayechezot ha'eluhim, vayochilu, vayishtu. It's a description of Atzile B'nei Yisrael, the end of Parashat Mishpatim. According to Rashina, Davin Avihu, they see God and they eat and they drink. One second. The description over here is, Olam Haba has no eating or drinking. And the description is, here's my paradigm. The closest I can come to it is those who saw God. Who, what did those who saw God do? They ate and they drank. No, you just contradicted yourself. You're trying to prove that the world to come has no eating and drinking. And you found Olam Haba in Olam Hazen. You described it as Vayochilu Vayishtu. Says Rashi, well, wasn't they physical eating and drinking? Says Rashi, They were satiated from Ziva Shekhinah as if they were eating and drinking. But really, is that the best pasuk you could get? You literally brought a pasuk which runs against what you were suggesting. You were suggesting there's no eating and drinking. The proof is, well, They see, <coughs> but again, I think it's the same point as that, back, that last Gemara of Rabbi Akiva. It's the same direction. It's one in which we envision a spiritual, call it nishama, dimension of existence within this world. So there's no dichotomy over here. And yes, it's hard to use the same words, but we're able to say their achilan shetia, quote unquote, was an angelic achilan shetia. Was there food going into their mouths? Certainly. Was it the same activity? Certainly not. They were able to, within this world, and that's the mandate, that's the, that's, that's the responsibility to find the man experiences within our own lives in which we are physically tapping into Torah. That's what we call, that's what we've been describing as mitzvot throughout. The Gemara Masechet Sanhedrin and Afnun Tetamut just learned, what, a, a week ago, Danny? A week and a half ago. The Gemara in the context of Midrashim in which they're taking this literally because the Gemara has this as a challenge so you, 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 can, you can roll your eyes at it but the Gemara is very serious about these words. Again, within a Midrash framework but important to notice the way they describe Adam HaRishon. Adam HaRishon is satiating himself by having the angels roasting for him meat and refining for him wine. One second, you're talking about Adam and he's eating and he's drinking. Again, the same point, yes. Within a world of humanity, you cannot and should not envision it as one in which you're in the womb of your mother. In the womb of your mother, you're detached from this. By definition, living in this world comes with a responsibility, an opportunity to transcend the angelic existence and find within this a mechanism, within the physicality, within the goof, a mechanism of finding the neshama, of bridging that gap between shamaim and aret. I've said it more than once as well. The Pasuk says that after sinning, Adam HaRishon has, well, first they make for themselves hagorot, and then at the end of Perikim al-Bereshit, it says that God makes for Adam HaRishon and for Hava kotnot or vayel bishem. Says the Midrash in the name of Rabbi Meir, don't read it as kotnot or with an ayin, rather as kotnot or with an aleph. What is, what's he describing? What's that a description? It's a description of what physicality at its core, post-sin, clothing, can and should be. Instead of having that coarse, physical nature in which 
we do feel and see, envision it as the opportunity to tap into or with an aleph, into light. It's a description, furthermore, of the Midrash in Pirkei Derbiliezer and Perik Yodalit, that Adam Arishon himself, and here's where I really love the description, at least in my eyes, what it's saying to us. It says, prior to sin, Adam Harishon's clothing was his skin, so to speak. It says, Mahaya Levushoshel Adam Arishon, or Siporin, Siporin means of nails, but there's this thin uh, exoskeleton, the Anan Kavod Hamchase Alav, and then above it, in some way, hovering is this Anan Kavod, is the, is the, is the, is the dwelling of, of God's presence. But it describes a clothing to Adam Harishon, but it describes a clothing of Adam Harishon which is so close to his essence, to who he is. It's not an external clothing, it is a clothing. It's after that that his clothing is shed, that he's given now external clothing. And the mission and the description of where we're headed is to somehow find a bridging between those two. It's the description, it's in the eyes of the Hachamim in my mind, what was lost with Horban Beit HaMikdash. It's the Gemara Daf Ein He, Amud Alf in Masechit Sanhedrim, Yom Shahara Beit HaMikdash, from the day of destruction of the Mikdash. Nitela Ta'ambi'ah, there's no longer a Ta'ambi'ah, an appropriate taste for sexuality, Rather than avera, it was given to those who sin. The description is one in which mikdash, so to speak, a time of ideal human expression and existence, is one in which physicality, in which the most perhaps physical desirous circumstance, meaning bi'ah, could and was construed not as avera, not as lust and desire away from God, but directed in the uh, with the focus of God. It's the Mishnah Masechet Yadaim that perhaps shir hashirim is not only has kedusha, but it's kodesh kodashim shir hashirim. Shir hashirim describes lustfulness, desire, but if appropriately engaged with, if pro- appropriate appropriately uh, directed, well, yeah, that's Kodesh Kodashim. That is humanity's expression. That's our responsibility. It's to live in this world and to find that Hibur ben Shamaim Va'aretz. It's in the eyes of in Ma'or Vashemesh, one of the great Kabbalistic works of the 19th century. He suggests that's what Korbanot was. After all, we're talking about Mikdash. This is what was Mikdash all about. Mikdash, theoretically, Mikdash in the broader sense, as we said, is the Hibur ben Shamaim Va'aretz. But physically speaking, what was done there was it not taking something very physical, the possess- possessions, the animals of human beings, slaughtering them and physically dealing with them, eating them, consuming them, and so forth, but finding inherent in them or finding the opportunity to direct them la shamayim to be mehaber ben shamayim va'aretz piecing everything together the description of Torah with mitzvot and mitzvot with Torah is one in my mind which is intuitive but sometimes neglected. In other words, the description of mitzvot needing the framework of Torah is a necessity. Mitzvot without that framework are not sheva mitzvot, but 613 mitzvot b'nei noah. It means that we've lost the asher kedishan b'mitzvotah v'sivvanu. It means we've lost that ability to tap into an experience of Har Sinai where God was mitzvah. It's a critical, if not the critical dimension of mitzvot. On the flip side, Torah without mitzvot, although that wasn't the focus, it was an important direction that he needed to set forth for us, Torah without mitzvot is deficient as well because a person who believes, an individual who thinks that Torah can be fulfilled without mitzvot, well, that person is living b'me'imon. Noah, no, he should have been there. He, she, he or she should situate themselves there because the context within which we've been born into is by definition demanding that we rise above just the physical instead of hiding from it. We take it and we find inherent and we direct it 
appropriately to that of Kedusha, to that of Shamaim, to that of Or, to that of Neshama. Baruch Adonai Amen, Amen.